Hey, we're back. Hopefully you were able to check out part one of this conversation with Natalie. Really looking forward to bringing this second half to you. She's an amazing and inspiring young woman. And if you didn't share the first one, please go back, do so, and share this one too when you finish up. Enjoy the show. And I think it's funny because I think being mixed is really helpful in that way. And that like, I literally couldn't write a story where it's all, I mean, I could write a story where it's all like half white, half Asian people or something, but that would just, I just can't imagine ever, I don't know. I just like, I would have to do that in order to not have perspective readers, like, or like in, or, in order to only have my perspective. So I just think it's super necessary to do that. I'm curious to the idea of not trying to teach racism to white people. And it's fascinating because I I think of movies like Green Book or there's this movie on Netflix. I've talked about it before that was... What did Dr. uh, Grant call him, Keith? Did he call him white sympathy films? Yeah, yeah. So just movies that at the end of the day are there to either project out this is the the experience or to make you feel like as a white person you're capable of more right and you know driving miss daisy is another one you know the, or to make you think famous, like not all white people right and that it's possible and you know it can happen how how did you go about making that? Because that that's got to, I mean, that had to have been a creatively difficult thing to do. And I'm curious to to understand, since there aren't a lot of examples about like that, right? I mostly just, because I go to film school and I'm like, my friend group is pretty like diverse in terms, it's my, my friend group is mostly like black and POC girls. And I just would talk, I would would just be talking and I would just be listening to them and also like thinking of myself of just what I want to see in a film. And I was like, okay, I've never seen a film with an Asian person in the South. One of my friends talked about how she was sick of seeing like the sassy black woman and how she wanted to see like a nerdy, like kind of quiet black girl. And I was like, oh yeah, I've never really seen that very often either. Not that it should be like such a like hard line of like this or that, but Like, it can be more complex than that. But she was just, she said that. And then I was thinking for myself of just how, like, I I, am used to seeing, like, Asian girls that are very, like, uh, quiet or timid or, um, like, sort of exotic exotic and whatever. And I was like, all right, I want to make, like, a gritty, like, Asian girl character who, like, will beat you up. And it's not cute. Like, she's not, like, it's not, like, a cute, pretty thing. Like, she will beat you up. And then I was like, and I want to make it gay. And like, I was just thinking all the things that I wanted to make it. And it was just sort of like, a, let me just make something that I feel like I've never seen before. And then with the white characters, um, like they're, they're, they're definitely still complex. Like I feel like the, the antagonist Ridge, he's like the bully at the camp. He still like has a reason for why he's awful or like being awful to the main characters. But there's no like uh, redemption for him. Like you don't see him like become a better person or whatever. He's just sort of awful, and there is a Rich backstory is to him. Literally, he's just a dick, and you see him like he has a backstory with one of the main characters, Alex, where they used to be best friends, 
And then when Alex started to, like, be emotionally vulnerable, Ridge basically, like, left him in the dust. And because he's scared of vulnerability and emotions, and that's sort of the main, his main backstory of why he, and and Alex's whole friend group sort of represents, like, softness and emotional vulnerability. And so that just threatens him so much. But anyway, you never see him become a better person. He just gets, like, he just loses at the end, and he gets beaten up by Jade, who's the half-Asian, half-white character, and uh, so, I mean, I don't know. It was just sort of like, what do I want to see? And then I, I think another key part of it is having lots of perspective readers because, like, a lot of the identities in it weren't mine. So just, like, literally just having... I'm just lucky that I have a ton of screenwriting friends and professors that are willing to read it and, um, like, share their perspective and to make it the most accurate and the most empowering for everyone. Listening to that response keith i wonder if the question isn't i don't i don't think it's that hard to to make the film from a black or poc perspective i think it's hard for it to be received i don't think white people are going to feel great that they don't get the redemption in that character and that's the thing that like hollywood hasn't reconciled i was talking about this last night with a whole bunch of people about comics like there's there's so many black characters in in the comic verse but like for hollywood it's like eh, i just don't know if that's like gonna sell i don't know if that's like I'm, i don't know if people are gonna be able to connect to that and because you you get so many like like when black films were getting really big it was like well they were black exploitation films they weren't like you know there's a big difference between a black movie and a movie with mainly black actors that is just a damn good movie. Like there's a big difference between those two, but you know, it's the acceptance of the audience that I think is the big issue. Yeah. And I think it's kind of funny because there was this camp that I was originally going to shoot it at in like the middle of nowhere in Virginia. And uh, it was like this very small summer camp and they really wanted to see the script of the film. And I'm pretty sure the whole board of directors for this camp is like white dudes and or whatever. Anyway, I thought it was like, I thought it was so funny and like such a win because they read my script and then I got a call from, and I, I worked this out and found a different camp who didn't need to read my script before letting me rent from them. But basically I got a call from the woman who ran the camp and she was like, we just, we just feel like uh, the way this camp talks about whiteness and white people just isn't, there's no redemption. Like, where's the redemption? Like we're not, a, our camp isn't about excluding anyone based on their skin color and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, this is perfect. Y'all hated it. That's great. That's exactly what I wanted. Like, so I just, yeah, I was like, people have been asking for for years. Like, I don't want to yeah. just play a drug dealer who, who never gets redemption or isn't like, can I be more complex? Can I have more to me than just not having a father or not being a present father? Like, like there's so much more like that. That trope is, is played. It's done. Spike Lee. There was a story. Spike Lee did the same thing with school days. He didn't tell, I think it was Morehouse that he filmed that. Like, right. he didn't let them read it. And it was all, like, making fun of the Black Greek system. And right, they, right, like, right. That movie's I think they crazy. wanted to kick him off, but they're like, we can't really kick Spike Lee off the campus, but we want to because we don't like how he's portraying no, it. It's, it's such an interesting nuance of, like, historically, just how little redemption that a POC character... Um, gets whether they're a supporting actor or actress it's not as intentional but when it's a white character it just gets it's even if it's not 
like, even if it's subtle, it's like, wait a second, why is he the bad guy? And then why didn't he get this? Um, but you just see it like, and I, you, you see it so often where it's, there has to be that redemption. There has to be some sort of, at least I need to walk away feeling good. And for so long, it's like, yeah, you don't, Rodney and Natalie, but I do. So, and I, and I like that you add depth to the story, right? It's like, because you could still have compassion for him in the story, even if he's a dick because of the reason that he got there. But that's up to you to decide if you want to have it. It doesn't just come because he turned out to be an angel at the end of the day and apologized to everybody for being mean because people don't usually apologize. I also think in your answer, Natalie, it was, I think like I would love to pull that out and just put a snippet because I think for writers, I deal with a lot of like fantasy writers and like TTRPGs and like board games and a lot of them are white. And they're like, but how do I write like a black or a POC character? Or how do I like include that perspective? And I think you gave a great example. Like you yourself are a woman, you are POC and you identify with, you have different markers you identify with. However, you realize that you don't represent all of these other things that you would like to include in your story. So you can just reach out to them and say, Hey, I have this idea or I wrote this thing. Does it, does it track? Like you can just ask for help. Like super simply. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's funny because I think being mixed is really helpful in that way. And that like, I literally couldn't write a story where it's all, I mean, I could write a story where it's all like half white, half Asian people or something, but that would just, I just can't imagine never, I don't know. I just like, I would have to do that in order to not have perspective readers, like, or like in, in order to only have my perspective. So I just think it's super necessary to do that. Cause yeah, yeah like white writers should know, be. Cause it's not like. It's not like every mixed kid's experience is the same as yours. Exactly. And not every, like, yeah, and every, um, I think that I've heard that the same thing that you just mentioned, like, from, like, white screenwriters and stuff who are like, yeah, I really want to, like, write diverse characters, but I don't know how. And um, and it's like, yeah, it's not, uh, I, I guess it definitely would be more convenient and easy for them to just white, write char- white characters. But, uh, yeah, it's not that hard to just find prospective readers and just, like, doing research and like and at the end of the day like people are people so if you just research and try to avoid tropes and like and just writing human beings like because i mean i don't know like there was um a really interesting thing happened during uh casting there used to be this so there's this like there's like this side character and originally he was south asian his name was amon and he sort of carries the theme he's sort of like um I was inspired to write him because of like Radio Rahim and Do the Right Thing. He like sort of has like the rings that say love and hate and like this like sort of object symbolism. And so my character, um, who was originally named Amon, had like these deck this deck of cards and he talks about um capitalism sort of with his deck of cards in like a very like cryptic sort of way. Anyway, his race really isn't that important until the end when he has this monologue about the model minority myth a bit. And anyway, I was casting on backstage and this guy um, who I ended up casting, he auditions and he's amazing and like everything that I wanted for the character. But it turned out that he had just written South Asian on his uh, application, but he was actually Latino. And I was like, oh, wow, you're like perfect for this part, but you're actually Latino. Okay. And so I rewrote the monologue at the end, but the rest of it was fine because the rest of it was just the character being a person. And so there was one part where it was really important that like, I don't write about the model minority myth for the Latino character. And so I changed it to like 
I changed it to a monologue about like um, feeling like kind of the forever foreign thing of like he grew up in the U.S. but uh, is kind of seen as foreign and people like he talks about basically he tells a story in high school about this kid telling him to go back to Mexico when actually his family's been here for five generations and all of this. So I just changed the monologue and it worked well. So I feel like, yeah, sometimes it's I don't know if it's there's that much you actually need to change to have a diverse cast to make it work. And um, to thinking about how messed up, like how powerful the normalization of whiteness is and how other groups are looked at as other, like a white writer that can write white women and white men, gay, straight, like different types of white people and feel okay with it. It's like, well, but you don't, do you have those experiences? Like they're just the same color as you. Like, they're literally just people like me and like you. And, but, but there's this perceived, like, it's so different. And it's like, what? Right. Like, I'm just, I, I eat food, bro. Yo, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> I mean, I did not grow up where you might think I grew up. Right. Um, right. I think you know there's I such a family. I got parents yeah. that love me. Why do you think that is Natalie? Like why, you know, like I'll go look at the cast of one of my daughter's cartoons and like the black characters are all voiced by white voice actors. And it's like, like, is it a, is it just a lack of thought into what that could mean or like how, like, what do you, what do you think should take? Yeah. That, that, what you just said reminded me of like Avatar, the last airbender was like one of my favorite shows growing up and like, but all the, and it's like very, and it's so good, but, um, all the like characters are, I think pretty much all the voice actors are white, but then it's like completely like East Asian culture, like Southeast Asian culture. And so at least based on that, I guess. Um, and I don't, I don't know why they do that. I think it's probably just a networking thing of like, they just don't feel like looking for, they probably, I mean, if it's white people, they might just already know these like talented white voice actors and they don't feel like looking for the Asian voice actors. I think that's changing. Like uh, some movies that I've seen come out that are animated, a lot of them are actually voiced by, at least with API, um, a lot of those characters are now voiced by Asian and Pacific Islander actors. But um, but even then, sometimes with like with like API stuff, it's it's kind of become like a monolith thing, like with uh, Ryan, the last dragon. I don't know if this is fully correct, but I'm pretty sure Ryan, the last dragon was supposed to be like a Southeast Asian film, but then they cast Aquafina as one of the main characters. And I think that she's Chinese, but I'm not totally sure. Anyway, I just think that sometimes even with that, it's like not all API individuals are the same. And so like, I don't know anything about like, you know, like, I mean, there are some overlaps and stuff where like some of the cultures are similar, but like, especially with like South and East Asian, like, I don't know anything about like the culture in Pakistan. Like I could not begin to speak about that, but for some reason we're in like the same group or whatever. (laughs) I mean, the Philippines, right? Pacific Island, like very different than Japanese culture and Japanese, very different than South Korean culture. And yet it's like, eh, eh, it's all the same. Right. And I think this goes to the theme of your, your, your film of internalized racism, right? Like racism is our influence, our usage of power. And it does not have to, it's rooted in bigotry and prejudice, but it does not have to act out with prejudice or bigotry. Like I do not have to be bigoted, hateful, or prejudiced just because uh, to be racist. 
I'm just perpetuating a system or doing something that keeps people out while I grow on their backs. And that's the internalized component. It's like, it's easy. And especially as, as we continue to grow. Yeah. And I think what, what made me want to make it about internalized racism was like, I don't know if, I don't think this was the conversation that started it, but it was already going to be about internalized racism at this point. But basically the, the plot is that these characters are at this camp that's very white it's like three BIPOC characters, or I should say black and POC, because there aren't indigenous characters in there. But and then uh basically they're at this they're in this very white town, this very white summer camp. There's this bully that they have to deal with, and all they want to do is run away from camp because it's their last summer together. They've always wanted to run away and just like go hang out in the woods or something. And so they have this like confrontation with the bully. Jade be- ends up beating him up and they run away. But then when they run away, all of their, like, internalized feelings and uh, all of their differences, like, between each other come out and it sort of manifests in their own fears of of their own future and themselves. And that fear turns into an argument with each other. And then basically they have to come back to the camp because they have to get, like, they have to be back at the camp before cabin check, which happens every night. And um, then they all have to work together to sort of defeat the bully at the end who tries to attack uh, Nani, who is the main character of the film. And they all have to, like, throw him into the pool. It's sort of, like, hard. I guess there's a lot more to it than that. But that's sort of the storyline, is that they run away from camp trying to get away from this oppressive environment. But then even when they're alone with each other, even when there's no whiteness to be seen, the whiteness has, like, sort of permeated into how they think of themselves and each other. And, yeah. And I remember, like after I decided this later, having a conversation with one of my friends who is a black woman. And she was just talking about how the thing that the thing that she said was, and I'm, this isn't a direct quote, but she was just saying that the thing she hates the most about racism is how it makes her feel about herself and how, even when it's not there, it can affect the way she thinks of herself of not feeling pretty enough or good enough and how that doesn't go away. And I feel like I resonate with that a lot. And it took me a long time to, gain a sense of confidence or a sense that I'm like worthy or valuable. And so that was what I wanted to touch on in the film was like that effect specifically that racism has. Like, How do you, um, so a, a point of conversation I'm sure will come up in this, uh, I'll bring it up here because that's what we're all about. And you kind of alluded to it when the camp said, we want the redemption story. When the primary villain is the white person and the response is well why aren't the good white people presented versus just the white people being presented as villainous i'm curious to understand how you think about that um like their response or just having the having white people be villains as opposed to uh also like protagonists yeah having both in a film Mm. Like if, because I'm sure it'll come up. Originally, the script was like a feature length script, and there was uh, another white character, Kip, who is also really problematic, and he's not focused on that much, but he does sort of come around and become a better person by the end. And he got removed, like once I made it into a short film, and uh, to which basically just left Ridge and his his goons which are like his evil sidekicks kind of or whatever and so 
like I don't know if I'm against having a white character who like becomes better or something, but I think sometimes it's nice to just have a story where like the character with any story to just have the antagonist like I don't know, it's just like why does cuz it just goes back to the intention of wanting to make it not for a white audience of just like I wanted to make it centered on black and POC people and for that audience and so in my head it was just sort of like uh I just didn't think that was necessary like having that white character who becomes better because I feel like my goal with it is to have a sense of agency and a sense of like togetherness for black and POC communities and um and not without including white people in that because I, I really wanted to touch a lot on like the tensions that I see sometimes or perceived tensions between black and POC like groups and stuff in the media and all of that, as opposed to focusing on everything as like black versus white. And that there's so many stories with that too, right? Yeah. And I don't even look at it like just from a white redemption so much as just regular white people but at this like just being themselves but how entertaining is that the the reason i asked that question is this outcry against um critical race theory which this isn't even it's 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 obnoxious but there's a, a a large part of the white population i don't know majority or what that feels like they're being every everybody's being taught to hate them Right. And so they feel like they're now hated because they don't see that they have been taught to be loved above all for so long that it's just now we're just diversifying the experiences to show it from different perspectives. And so that's what makes me think about that question is. I'm sure it will come up from someone who'd be like, well, why, why do you have to portray white people as bad all the time? I don't know what, what you said, Keith, made me think about like white people feeling, feeling hated or whatever. I, that just makes me laugh a little. Um, I don't know. And it's weird too, just talking about whiteness because I feel like I'm just as white as I am Asian and it's kind of a, a both at once deal. So I definitely like, am also like, uh, This goes into a whole other thing, but for me, I kind of think of it as, like, I have, like, both identities at the exact same time, completely at once. And so, a lot of the time, I'm literally thinking from, like, the perspective of the person who is in the role of, like, the oppressor, kind of, but then also from the other perspective at the same time, which isn't, like, a bad thing. It's just complicated sometimes. But anyway, uh, what you were saying was just making me think about, uh, like, white people... Like, where where does the, like, the defensiveness come from? Because what I find is interesting is, like, I've met a lot of white people who are marginalized in, like, the socioeconomic stand, like, stance or way in the South, like, poor white folk. And uh, it's interesting because their anger then gets directed towards, like, often in the South, Black people uh, or Black folks and, like, anyone who's not white when I don't understand why that anger isn't directed towards the people who are actually like oppressing them. And so that gets a bit weird, but I mean, I just think maybe it just boils down to like the whole human feeling of not wanting to feel like you're the 
or maybe disconnection from the past of just like, well, I'm not the person in the past who did all those racist things or I could never do that. So why is everyone hating me? I think that's probably where it comes from. And I just think that a lot of people don't want to connect the past things that have happened to who they are now. And like, there's like not this under, there's like this, because we live in such a like egalitarianistic sort of like ideology place where it's like, oh, well, I just make myself from the, like, I'm not, I'm like my ancestors and like my past and people that I'm related to are not relevant to who I am. I think that that is where the problem arises because then people are like, well, I didn't do any of that bad stuff in the past and I try not to be racist. So that means that I'm fine. And I don't understand why everyone hates me or something. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. It, it makes me laugh. Cause like for one, for one, it somewhat frustrates me because the, the question is in my opinion, ridiculous. It's like saying, why do we have black history month? Why don't we have white history month? It's, it's like, what I said earlier, we see these stories of whiteness all the time. We don't see a story of a, of a non-white redemptive character. Like that's not common. It's not all the time. It's like a film or a moment. And it's like, you're so uncomfortable with that, that we can't just have one film that's not about you. And it's, there's this, the general fragility of, it's not just the white American, it's the, the white worldian like is super dangerous and it has been weaponized. And like the part, the the thing that needs to break is the feeling of the need to ask that question. And like, in my opinion, like that's gotta go because there are other perspectives and, and to Natalie, what you said, like all that, the history, the dots connect and people got to do that internal work to realize where they participate in it. Just like you did with this film, just like you explored, like how, how, how have you, how have I participated in it? I think that's what everybody's got to ask. I think, um, you, you hit the nail on the head there with the isolated reflection of a different world experience the this white character doesn't reflect all so when you're watching it as a white person you're not like just watch it right from the perspective of the people that it's delivered for and enjoy a good film because at the end of the day to your point it's not systemic it's like saying reverse racism i just learned the other day that like high schools have hierarchies of racism it's like then nobody knows what racism is anymore. Like it's mind boggling. That's not there. There aren't like racism is pretty unidirectional. You you can't have reverse. And when the entirety of a body of art is reflected in one particular way, and then you have this one little nugget, like there's that's that's a pretty unequal representation. <laughs> like so, like settle down. Um, and the reason I asked that question to to your point, like the reason I asked that question, Rodney, because I anticipate, like, oh, it'll yeah, be. Yeah. I know you're not yeah, asking. Right? Yeah. I know you were asking because it'll. It's a good conversation piece for us. Yeah, and 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 it's and it's uh, it's food for thought, right? Like, if you're listening and you thought about that question, and then where do we where do we come out of it? Like, how are you processing it now that we've kind of explored it? So. I'm very curious because we, we don't have a lot of time left, but like you are incredibly impressive as a sophomore in high in college and going into your junior year next year. You seem to have a strong emotional intelligence 
awareness culturally and personally. And there's a, a wisdom and a maturity to you at 19 that takes many people much longer. Like, what was the environment like for you growing up? Was it just because of all of the experiences that you had? Because you went to all these schools? Um, yeah. I think it's partly, well, I think the place where I would say that it began, like in middle school, I don't think I thought about race that much. I think I maybe Google searched, are Asian people white? Like what? <laughs> or something. I don't know. Um, I mean, I thought about it when people made fun of me for it. But overall, I think I just wanted to be white because that was, I just saw that if you were white, a white girl, that everybody liked you more and that the boys liked you and that you were prettier in their eyes or whatever. And then when I went to the high school that was mostly black, suddenly all the popular pretty girls were black. And I was like, oh, and I would hear people say like, black is beautiful. And I was like, oh, whiteness isn't all there is. And if black is beautiful, that means that Asian can be beautiful too. And so I think like I started to like kind of, that experience was like very like kind of like a shock for me I guess when I like went into ninth grade and then that summer I uh I had become vegan because I watched like a documentary on climate change or something and my mom was like okay well we can't send you to summer camp in Virginia anymore where do we send you so she sent me to this like youth empowered action camp and I think that was like the place where everything sort of like the trajectory of me the trajectory of my life sort of changed because I went there and suddenly I was going to these workshops about nonviolent communication and institutionalized racism and gender and all these different things. And like as a 14 year old, that was just sort of like crazy to learn about all of these new things and then connect them to what I was seeing in my own community in Virginia and um, and understand that like this was coming. This wasn't this was coming from somewhere not it wasn't just something that existed without any history. It was coming from somewhere. And um because I had noticed that our schools were segregated, but I hadn't thought that deeply about it. And then when I went to this camp, I was like, oh, all these things that I, I, all these problems I've been seeing are from somewhere, like they're connected to a history and the, like a history that they don't teach us in school, but uh, the, a history that does exist. And, um, and at that camp, they just like showed me vulnerability and like everyone there was so compassionate towards me and caring and, um, I just think it gave me a glimpse into what the world could be like because it was extremely diverse um, in terms of gender and race and um, sexuality. And I just felt like I could truly be like loved and vulnerable and cared for in that space. And I think that sort of glimpse into like almost, I don't want to say a perfect world, but a world where everyone like cares for each other and wants to communicate with each other and that really, I think, was the reason why I wanted to... It just sort of changed my the trajectory of my life. And then that on top of the fact that I had been having issues with mental health, like, all through middle school and then uh, early on in high school, to the point where I was just so depressed and anxious that I didn't think I could... I wanted to keep living. And there was, like, this moment where um, I was, like, sitting on my floor in my bed, literally in this bedroom, and I was, like man, this is awful. And I don't think I'm ever going to come out of this. Like, I don't think I'll ever have a day where I don't like feel anxious all the time. But if I do, I, and I, this was like a prayer to God sort of. And I was just like, if I do, then I will do everything I can to try to make the world better. If you just let me have a day where I'm not anxious and depressed and where I can just actually think about other things and just have like a normal life or whatever that means, then I will do something to try to make things better for other people. 
And then when I did eventually, like, my mental health got better and, like, completely better um, after, like, a couple years, I was like, all right, time to do that. And so that's just sort of what I've been trying to do ever since. Wow. Thank you for that. I mean, that's, there's really no better way to start wrapping the conversation than that summary you just put on. Like, wow. Like, I mean, I, wa- I want to go into that a little more, but man, that was like, that was, thank you for sharing that. And that, that's amazing. And you are literally doing that. Like you're out here doing some, we'll, we'll share some links to some of the works that you've done. Like your, the, the song that Dr. Rook shared with us and like, we'll make sure we link it. But, um, just want to thank you for your time and thank you for sharing with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was super cool to talk to you guys. And um, yeah, I really appreciate, I love uh, having the conversation and I could really tell that you guys were listening to me and I, that feels really nice. And uh, I liked hearing what you guys had to say as well. So thank you. Well, thanks, Natalie. Thank well, we have, great. we have one last question that we won't respond to this time. That's, uh, but, uh, <laughs> I was just going to say thank you for that. I mean, that's what we aim yeah. to do and to hear that back feels, it feels yeah. nice uh, to yeah, hear. So does. thank you. So thank you. The last question is, what does compassion mean to you? To me, compassion is a, a feeling and it, it's a bit indescribable to, describable to me, but the way I would describe it is just looking at a person you love and wanting nothing from them except for them to be happy like not wanting to take anything from them or like derive anything from them but literally just wanting to see them laugh and be happy and uh be there for them